Hey, church, welcome to an online worship service. Just this past week, I I found out that a a person who was very important in my life, a mentor and a friend by the name of Rod Cathy, passed away. I know that name probably doesn't mean anything to the ABF crowd, but Rod was my first choral conductor at Azusa Pacific, and he had the unenviable task of teaching a boatload of freshman boys how to sing together. Can you imagine college freshmen? Let's teach them how to praise the Lord in beautiful harmony. And that was Rod's job, and he loved it, and he was great at it. At it. And I believe that the kingdom of heaven is more connected than we really understand. So I just want to tell you about Rod and his home going into glory this week to honor him and to tell you as a church that this man that you've never met has influenced through my wife and I um, this church in worship for years. So when you get to heaven and you meet Rod Kathy, would you say hi? Would you give him an embrace? He's got a great smile. We love you, Kathy family, and I just wanted to honor you guys as we begin this service of worship. Um, so for Rod, we will do what he loved to do, which was to gather in God's presence and make music and sing songs and clap your hands and close your eyes in worship to the King. He has done great things. Let's sing these praise songs together in Jesus' name. Here we go. Your name lifted high, oh God. You have done 
shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilion in splendor. ABF Online. It's so good to do another edition of church and worship and preaching and teaching with you. We're looking forward to seeing you someday soon, but while you're still watching online, I want to let you know about several things that are coming up. First of all, as you know, there are things that we pray for every week, and we'd love for you to be part of that prayer ministry by sending us a prayer request and if you ever wanted to be on our prayer chain, let us know, and you, we, we can add you to that. But we'll pray for you if you'll just text us at 97,000, 97,000. Then, this Sunday, we have a newcomer's lunch. Now, I realize you're watching at home, but why don't you just hop in the car, come on over, and join us for lunch this Sunday, April 25th, after the second service. It'll be a chance for all of you who've been watching online or coming to our church in the last three to six months uh, to get to know the staff and some of the others. We'll have a wonderful lunch, and you'll be in and out in less than 75 minutes. Then our ladies' teas on May 1st. Ladies, we have 20 tables already committed to you outside in our garden tea area, uh, also known as the courtyard. And that means, gentlemen, we need some more servers. We're about halfway there, so if you have a, want a great time hanging out with some of the guys serving our ladies, let me know and we'll put you on the list to serve. That's May 1st, ladies. You need to sign up on our website. And then uh, we have a new Equip You kind of one-day class called Rooted. It'll be uh, May 2nd during the first service, and Bill Berry will be covering some of the misconceptions that people have about Christianity. And it'll be an awesome uh, start for you if you want to know more about the Christian faith or you've been a Christian for a while and you just need to know how to answer these kinds of questions. You'll want to join us for Rooted on Sunday, May 2nd, during the first service. Then our Caneo Valley Meal Program is always the second Monday night of the month, so that's coming up 
on May 10th, so you'll want to go onto our website and sign up for those food items that we need. Thank you so much for your generosity. We did 75 meals last month and did use them all, so uh, we'd love for you to get involved with us, plug in that way as well. And then I want to, again, just remind you about giving options. We are, if you've noticed in the bulletin or looked online, that we are down uh, a bit, and so we would like you to just prayerfully consider what your part is in giving to the ministries of ABF, whether it's here, across the street, or around the world. And uh, we want to thank those of you who are giving. And some of you may not know how we go about that, so uh, you can just mail a check in or pay online. And then once you start attending regularly, you can uh, give in the uh, giving boxes that are at the back of the auditorium. And so we'll look forward to seeing you again soon. And now uh, get your Bibles, get your pen, get your coffee, and get ready to hear from Pastor Scott as we're in our second part of our series in 1 Thessalonians. Take it away, Pastor Scott. Well, thank you, worship team, and thank you, uh, John. Uh, man, so good to be together, and especially a, a time of celebration. Uh, if you're familiar with our story of Josh and Lindsay having a baby, uh, we're celebrating over here. You notice Josh is uh, just barely staying awake. And so we're actually going to have a, a yawn uh, counter in the service and, uh, and make sure that Lubin uh, zo zooms in as if Josh is really doing anything in this process. Let's be real. So precious to see sweet little Hallelujah or Holly for short. And uh, we're excited to have her in the mix. It's the way things are supposed to be. Look at those sweet little arms and hands. Uh, just fun, fun, fun. So well, good to be with you, church, and uh, you're going to have to just ignore if the baby cries. I'm just going to keep on trucking, so we're going to just see that as a sound of worship in the background. But I want to start with a question uh, that I think would be an appropriate question for us and really any Bible-believing church. My question is this. Hopefully, I get a lot of yeses on this. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Yes, right answer. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? I would hope that we get a ton of yeses, even if you want to say that out loud at home. That's a good thing. That's an amazing thing. But here's where I'm going to make you maybe a little bit more uncomfortable with the second follow-up question, maybe a little more intimidating question is this. Are, not only are you a disciple of Jesus, here's the second question. Are you discipling others? Are you discipling others? You see, you might wonder why I asked that question, but reality is, is if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, there's that expectation because a disciple is intended to follow his lead in the direction that he goes and the way that he lived. For us, still a couple thousand years later, if we call ourselves a disciple, there's the intention or design that we should be doing discipling. You might say, well, how do you know that, Pastor Scott? Where do you see that in Scripture since we're this uh, Bible church? Well, I would point to probably the most specific one would be the Great Commission. After Jesus, or when Jesus was leaving, he gave his disciples a very specific charge upon leaving. Go, therefore, and make disciples. I think the operative word there is make. It's not something where you're just communicating a message, but it's a, a, a spending time with. There's a participation. There's the expectation that we're involved in people's lives, moving them along in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So I would say, really, this is a fundamental expectation for anyone that claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, I would even be as bold as saying every member of our church should be helping others come to know Christ and then to become more like him. And if they're not, they're missing out on their calling for their life. You're missing out. If you're not, if you're not introducing people to Jesus Christ and then helping them move along in their walk with Christ, then you're missing out on your calling for your life. I've uh, seen this meme repeated about 5,000 times. It's a guy kind of sitting on a college campus in front of a table. Maybe you've seen it, and he has different hot topics 
that he brings up, makes a suggestion, and then he has the words, change my mind. And so that's my invitation for you as the church. If there's ever an open invitation for conversation, that would be it. Change my mind, in my opinion, that every single follower of Jesus Christ should be helping disciple and bring along other believers in their walk with Christ, whether that's through parenting, whether that's through a new believer that you've introduced to the gospel. Either way, a variety of possibilities, but clearly an expectation. As we look at Paul's life, even so far in our study in Thessalonians, you see that it's a consuming aspect of his life. Really, it's driving that great commission of making disciples is really driving everything that he does. And it's not just simply going and blazing the the trail with the gospel message. It's also then staying and investing and pouring into the people that he cared about deeply. Although we're going to discover in this book and really the majority of the New Testament that this lifestyle or this choice to live out your mission or calling doesn't happen without some degree of opposition. Last week, we saw that, a number of examples of that, from him coming first from Philippi, where he received opposition. Then in in Thessalonica, he received opposition. In fact, quite a bit where he had to sneak out of the city in the middle of the night just to save his own life. Sounds like that the people then after that were pretty committed to slandering Paul. In fact, our text today seems like it's a rebuttal to maybe some things that were said about Paul that weren't accurate. Some things likely as what he points out in our text today, they were most likely saying that he was like other false teachers where he was trying to seduce women, where he was trying to gain um, profit or financially because of his uh, belief or what he was presenting. He was trying to use it to gain power over other people. All of these things are pushed back against in this section of Paul's letter. He reaches out to this young formative church and he points them to his track record of ministry, what they knew, what they had experienced of him. And in the process of explaining his ministry, I would say he does a pretty fantastic job of laying a foundation or ministry fundamentals for the the rest of us, kind of the, the building blocks for if you are committed to discipleship, what that should look like. So I'm excited to see his response. And here's a summary statement I'd give of our text today. Cliff notes, if you will. Never compromise the message as you serve with pure motives. Be gentle and caring, but still be direct. I'm going to explain that in our text here today. Let me pray before I do that. Lord Jesus, thanks Again, for this chance to be together in the study of your word, and we continue to celebrate sweet little Holly and the gift that she is here, even on stage, as I think she's dozing off to my voice. Uh, God, I just pray that you would just be active now in our study, that you'd be moving and teaching. And maybe this would be a, a time where somebody that hasn't gotten into the game, hasn't gotten involved in discipleship and sharing you with others, might make the choice to be more intentional about that. God, I pray that you would make us a a church full of disciplers that take our ministry and our calling and the Great Commission seriously. Grow each of us, we ask, in this area, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So starting here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, It's always great if we're looking at the text together. I even encourage you to do that as you're watching this video. But we start in in verse 1 with the description. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So he starts with this statement, you yourselves know. In other words, the audience that he's speaking with knows the truth about him through personal experience. I would say that's a a wonderful reminder for us. Anytime you're hearing any level of gossip or something that's said about somebody that you know, you have to first start by reflecting on what you know about the person yourself, the experience that you've had with them. 
So he's speaking to these young believers about their experience with him. And he says that he came to them and his coming to them was not in vain. It's interesting because some might read the account that we've already had about Paul in Thessalonica outlined in Acts chapter 17 and might think to themselves, wait a second, was that, was that a worthless endeavor? Was that a vain effort? Because come to think about it, I mean, he was chased out of town in the middle of night. He had to flee 50 miles away and then catch a boat another 50 miles away. One might say, man, that was just a waste of time. A lot of times when we think about this whole idea of ministry, we can have that same mindset, thinking that maybe our efforts are in vain. Like anytime we've tried something, we look back on our life and we say, man, that just didn't work very well. That didn't go very far. They didn't, they didn't pray in the moment. They didn't turn their, from their wicked ways. There's no conversion. And we start to believe what the enemy wants us to believe, that our efforts are in vain. But Paul knows otherwise. He understands that God can take anything, any work that we've done in his name and do amazing things in it. I had a conversation after the service on uh, last Sunday with a woman from our church and uh, she reminded me of a, a few years back, probably actually three or four years back, she had approached me and asking if I had any suggestions for some kind of a discipleship book or a book that she could pass on, a Bible study that she could pass on to a friend that was exploring Christianity. And she told me, I remember I was sad to hear about it, when the woman moved away from the area, she gave her back the book that I had recommended. I was kind of like, oh man. And it was unopened, untouched. She had also given her a Bible, gave both of them back. She kind of thought, man, that was kind of a, a lost cause. But then she reminded me that she was reconnected with her just recently in a conversation. She heard her mentioning some different things about faith and had to ask the question, have you, have something changed? And she explained that she had given her life to Jesus Christ. You're like, man, even with a, a book that was seemingly never opened and handed back, it doesn't return void. As we're told in scripture, his word doesn't go out without returning with impact. Here, Paul explains his commitment to share the gospel of God with boldness, despite much conflict. He knew it was worth it, so he understood that the conflict wasn't going to keep him from continuing with the exact same message. He specifically mentions being shamefully, shamefully treated in Philippi. I don't know, for those of you that maybe listened last week, you might be reminded of what happened in Philippi. Remember, he was imprisoned there. He was beaten with rods. I mean, he had been through the ringers there. And here is what the natural tendency, our human nature to do is when we have experienced pain for something, we tend to avoid doing that same thing so we're not in pain down the road. That's kind of a human nature Remember about uh, six months ago, maybe a little bit longer after I was getting into mountain biking a, a bit, I took a, a pretty good uh, fall. You might have remember me even talking about it in church. And I'll tell you what, just as I reflect on it, there's a, a picture of it here on the screen. Uh, as I reflect on that, as I think about that situation, I was like, man, it took me a while to get confidence back riding bikes. I'm back to riding fairly regularly again, but man, it took a while before I was ready to go back and even do some of the same things. That's the idea here, though, is that you have to get back on the bike even when it doesn't seem like it's going to be fruitful. You have to get after it and you have to resist the temptation. Those of us have been scared away from sharing our faith. Resist the temptation to soft sell the gospel message. I think that's one of our tendencies is to try to just focus on just the, the love of Jesus and the, the nice parts of the gospel. And he came so that you'd have full life and abundant life with completely neglecting the complete gospel, what he describes as the gospel of God, which includes parts that people aren't necessarily going to like. The fact that they're a sinner, they've fallen short of God's perfect standard. The fact that there's nothing that they can do in their own self to rescue themselves. The fact that they're headed to eternal judgment 
apart from embracing Jesus' finished work on the cross. The message that we have is not necessarily a popular one with today's culture, but nonetheless, we're called to declare it, to declare the gospel of God. Maybe a better word uh, description is in the interpretation of that word declare is the word herald. It's not something that we use very often. We had a newspaper in Chicago called the Daily Herald, and that was a kind of a, a regular there. But herald comes there, stems from the idea of kind of the a title, actually a job that somebody would have working for a government official or more specifically the king where they'd be asked to go from town to town and they would herald a message. Maybe you've seen that in a movie where they pull out the scroll and they read the scroll of the specific thing that they were supposed to say that the king had uh, kind of specifically given them to, to say. That's the same idea for us. We have a specific message. It's a message from God. It's not one that can be adjusted. It's not one to be altered. It's very specific. And so we have to stay committed to not altering it, to have a, a boldness. And I love that description based on this. He said, there was a boldness in our God that kept them presenting even at the risk of harm. So first idea is, the, the first idea of ministry fundamentals is never compromise the message. The second one I want to point out here relates to motives. Take a look with me in verse 3. It says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor we with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. All right, we'll pause there for a little explanation of what he's doing there. You see it right out of the gates. Our appeal does not spring from. In other words, he's talking about the motives, what compels his reasoning for coming with the appeal for Jesus. And he starts by explaining th some things that weren't motivators. When you see him there in the text, he's saying it wasn't because of impurity. Impurity in that day and age, it's not, not talking about uh, something being impure because of the content, but impure is talking about sexually motivated. It refers to often what would happen then and unfortunately still today where religious leaders would use their status as a public figure to prey on women because of their position. And it's heartbreaking to hear stories of that still today. In 2 Peter 2.14, Peter warned of this, of false teachers who had eyes full of adultery, who entice unsteady souls. P Paul is being clear here. This is not what they ever came with that intent. And as he's relating with these people, he's saying, you know this. You've seen us in action. Also, he mentions that it wasn't motivated by error, or an attempt to deceive. Not that long ago, I watched a documentary on Scientology called Going Clear. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to see that. It's definitely memorable as it kind of outlines kind of the, the foundation and how it all started. It's interesting and actually heartbreaking to see so many people deceived by this guy by the name of L. Ron Hubbard who's actually a known and somewhat moderately successful science fiction writer. But he was, uh, when it says error and attempt to deceive, I'm like, man, talk about somebody that fits the bill there. He was at a uh, science fiction association convention in November of 1948, and he was quoted as saying, you don't get rich writing science fiction. If you want to get rich, you start a religion. You're like, huh. That's a, a great foundation there. Paul's saying, man, that's not us. We're not about deception. We're not about flattery. So often those things are connected with greed. That's one of the areas that the church in general has gotten a bad name. And we as a, a church try to be so protective of that. It's interesting, not that long ago, I was having a conversation with somebody after a, a church service and they thought, I don't know how the topic came up. They thought that we as a staff 
got paid based on how well the offering went for that week. So kind of like a commission-based thing where I'm like, hey, if I preach really well, uh, then I get a few extra bucks, you know, like a, a commission thing I had to, I had to explain to him. I'm like, that, that's not how it works. We each have a set salary. We didn't determine our salaries. We have elders and a leadership team that's established that uh, long before we arrived that day. They determined that by national averages and based on cost of living in a particular area, just like any other particular job that one would have. For us, though, the commitment is to never allow those things to be confused. We often even have on our own staff people that have to figure out other ways to supplement their income just to keep up with costs and expenses in this area. But Paul mentions their commitment, the biggest thing, their commitment to make sure they were pleasing God and not committed to pleasing men. I'll tell you what, there is such a tug towards that in our day and age. We so want to be liked. And here's the problem is so often the message that we herald isn't one that helps us in the popularity contest. That's why he he's explains to him, I wasn't trying to do things. If they were doing things out of popularity, they would have what? They would have adjusted the message to make it more palatable, something that wasn't going to get them beaten, that, something that wasn't going to get them chased out of town. But still today, that's the same message we're called to share and minister to people. He's talking about other motivators. He explains it wasn't because of the glory from man. Glory from man. He says basically that as apostles, they could have asked for more things because of their position of spending time with Jesus. They, they could have asked for more. He's like, no, but we weren't compelled by receiving glory from men. I'll tell you still today, as you're watching and choosing what ministries to be a part of and what to celebrate and what to resist, I'll tell you anything where you're seeing somebody other than Jesus Christ, elevated and celebrated, that's cause to steer clear. That's cause to, to push back. We want to do as best as we can to deflect honor and direct it solely on him. I have a close friend that I used to work with and he had a chance to visit a, a church in the, in the South and it was a, a, a bigger church. It actually had a, a number of different campuses and they had a requirement for the staff there, spending some time with another staff member, that when the, the teaching pastor arrived at one of the different campuses, they expected that all the staff line up in the parking lot and greet the pastor clapping and welcoming him on the campus. Uh, and so I said, we're going to implement that here at ABF. Every No, we're not. You see, in fact, if you ever see something like that, that wonky on our campus, make sure you start running the other direction. In fact, first give me a solid kick before you go. Acts 24, 16, Paul says, So I always take pain to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. That's the idea here. That doesn't mean that we're perfect with our motives. If we're really honest before God, sometimes our motives can get off track. And that's a wonderful time to confess them and to come back to Jesus. God, redirect my motives. Make sure I'm doing things out of the right heart and right attitude. That's some of the ministry fundamentals that we're talking about. We want to make sure that we're pleasing God. And the way that we please God best is it's his glory, not our own fundamental truth and reminder for us. Continue in verse seven. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So this is the first of two parental examples. And I thought it was very fitting that uh, Josh and Lindsay are up here. And that picture that he has of, a, of a, the tenderness of a nursing mother. Now I got to ask you guys a question. Uh, now that we're, how many weeks in are we? Three weeks. Three weeks in. How many times have you raised your voice at Holly so far? Have you had to scold her, discipline her in any format, anything? 
No, probably not. Because part of the expectation is there's a nursing mother is just concerned about taking care of this precious new gift from God. But to me, it's kind of shocking sometimes how I see believers engage in outreach to the world around us to see how insensitive sometimes our approach can be. Here's the reminder for us, and that's why he uses this illustration of the mom, that we're intended to be patient, to be caring. And you get the sense here that there's an affection for the people that he's wanting to minister to. Sometimes I think this, again, relates to motivation. We have to check our hearts on this and make sure that we're being compelled by love, not out of duty, that we have a genuine care for people. And here's the reality, what I realized in my own life, this doesn't happen when you're keeping people at our arm's length away. This only happens when you're choosing to really do life and engage with people, when you have real genuine relationships. He describes that here. He says, he says we were there to share our own lives being open and vulnerable people, spending time. You don't ever get to the place where you have a compassionate sharing of the gospel if there's not some kind of relationship built behind the scenes. We've gotten to see the fruit of that even in our own ministry with different people over the years. One that came to mind when I was writing this section is more recent is uh, Stephanie and John. I don't know if you guys know Stephanie who's our office manager and a real blessing. She actually worked with us back in Chicago and came out here as our office manager. And, and she's been going just through a really, she's pregnant as well, but man has been going through a really tough pregnancy. But it's sweet to see where that relationship has gone. She was committed when our kids were younger to help caring for them. Now we're trying to partner with her. She's got a, a little one-year-old running around, little sweet Selah. I had this uh, cute little picture of the, the other night where Stephanie was getting some, some medical care as she's going through this pregnancy. And our, our little two daughters spending the night. Here you can see the, the picture on the screen there. Our two daughters that were just welcoming her in for a little sleepover at our house. There's, there's something sweet that comes from years of doing ministry with a group of people. That's why Paul is saying here, he says, because you became very dear to us. That's God's design when you're thinking about ministry fundamentals, that you're not just coming to a church and attending a church service, but you're doing life together, that you're experiencing things, that you're sharing in ministry together. That's why he describes it as the tenderness like a mother. Continues in verse nine for another reminder. So first be gentle and caring. Second piece is there's also an aspect where we need to be direct. It says, for you remember brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not uh, be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Again, he points what they've already known and experienced of Paul. He's able to say, you've seen this with your own eyes and you know it's a, a powerful statement when he's not just referring to them seeing it, but it says you are witness and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct. That's a pretty powerful statement for you to be able to say to a community that you've spent time with. What an amazing place to be that you're ministering in such a way that you can invite somebody to reflect back on their time spent with you. When have I not been above reproach? He's able to point to even God as his witness. 
He explains to them that he's labored and toiled. And this isn't just a figurative labor and toil. He, had, he was actually a tent maker by occupation, meaning his job was to, to make, I guess, custom tents of some sort or just tents in general for people to use in that day and age. That was often their housing or especially for people that were, uh, that were moving from location to location. So he was saying, I spent, I toiled, I worked, in other words, a second job in order that I could be committed to the gospel of proclaiming Jesus Christ to you. He was like, I was willing to work night and day. You've seen my toil. You've seen my work. Nowadays, even missionaries have a supporting church to send them out and financially help them out. And that, in that time, he didn't have that basis. He's just blazing new territory. Now, later in his ministry career, he talks about in Philippians 4, 16, how the Philippian church then eventually helped care and meet, uh, care for and meet for some of his needs. But in this time, he's not wanting anything to obstruct the message. That's why he's able to say that he's blameless. Then he moves into using his second parental example. The first one was a, a nursing mother. The second one was time that he refers to as a father. It's interesting the different roles that he describes for the father. The role of the father that he said here, exhorts, encourages, and charges. Think about that as we try to balance that, even in parenting, a little bit of uh, Adrian tends to be, it's almost like good cop, bad cop. She tends to be a little bit more of the nurturer. I'm a little bit more of the direct, exhort and challenge and direct. And so you, you find that balance and often in uh, relationships and uh, the way that you parent. But here's the picture he points to is that even in discipleship, sometimes there needs to be that coming along and a sensitivity and a patience and, and, and compassion for somebody. But sometimes there needs to be some tough truth as well. There needs to be some calling out. And what is he saying that they were pushing? Do you see it there in the text? What is it that they were wanting to make sure they communicated? That they would walk in a manner worthy of God. That's what they were charged to. Walk in a manner worthy of God. Worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Gotta wonder, what is that even, how is that even possible? Walk in a manner worthy of God. What manner would that be? That sounds like a call to perfection that none of us is capable of. Walking in the manner worthy of God, I would suggest, isn't what necessarily comes first to mind. Sometimes when we think of someone acting in a manner that's worthy, I, I was thinking just this week as I was going through this text as some of the attention that, that Meghan Markle, am I saying that right, has gotten in this last season because really she hasn't wanted to do all the things that were expected of someone in that position. She hasn't wanted to have to uh, bow and doesn't want to have to uh, kiss up or do some of those things. I can respect some of that, although we won't get into too many details uh, of all my thoughts on her uh, situation. But the idea is not here. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you have to come with pleated pants and a white button up collar to be able to represent God well. He's saying, I would better understand that is somebody that's been set free should now live in that freedom. You've been set free to not live in this kingdom anymore. You've been invited into a different kingdom. So it's not about trying to look good or perform good or check boxes. That's not it at all. It's the idea that a prisoner that's been set free doesn't make his way back to his prison cell. Prisoner that's been set free would never go back to his prison cell unless it was forced upon him. For those of us that are in Jesus Christ, he's inviting them or charging them, man, you need to encourage people. Walk in a way that's worthy of your new identity as, a, as a, a, a somebody that's been invited into the, the kingdom of God. So all of these things come together perfectly to describe the ministry that we've been invited to. Never compromising the message, making sure we stay crystal clear with that, making sure we're serving with pure motives, but then being gentle and caring in the way that we approach and minister to the people that we uh, are building into or reaching out to. But then lastly, as we see here in the text, being gentle and caring, 
but also being direct. Because sometimes people don't move without some level of a nudge. And my hope and my prayer, even in this passage, is that it does exactly that. Gives us as a church a nudge in this direction to make sure if we claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that we're committed to discipling others. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, my hope and prayer, man, what would that look like if we as a community really got serious about discipleship? First introducing people to Jesus Christ, but then coming along peop alongside people and supporting them in their walk with Christ nudging them, being sensitive and tender, but also nudging them and, and encouraging them and exhorting them to walk in a manner worthy. That's my prayer for us as a church. That's my prayer for myself individually, that we'd all be moving that direction. We recognize we can't do any of this without the power of your spirit leading us. We're dependent on that fully. We pray this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
right, church family. Well, we've got a worshiper here already. Hallelujah. Arms are raised. Praise God. Thank you for being a part of this service as usual. Any way we can serve you, always feel free to reach out. God bless you. Have an amazing week.